about everything. It doesn't matter what it is. If it comes up, we're talking about it. Mormonism, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Presbyterians, Orthodox Presbyterians, God, Christ, whatever. We're talking about it. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we're still here and we're uh, operating and functioning. Grateful for uh, Seth and, and Wendy and, and uh, Mags and, and uh, what's her name, Mary. <laughs> Thankful for all that you are doing uh, and helping us keep things going. And uh, we pray for our viewers and those who are seeking for truth. This is a show for sons and daughters seeking for truth. We pray that we'll deliver it. And if we don't, that they'll forget what we say and we'll move on and just keep growing together. We want to be people who have faith and people who love. In Jesus' name, amen. So last night we aired a show about death and how in the age of fulfillment, Christians ought to see and understand and respond to death of loved ones and friends and, and neighbors who are believers and the death of loved ones, friends and neighbors who pass without faith. The scripture plainly lays out these things. I'm not creating them out of thin air. It's just through a contextual understanding of what the scripture says that we're able to deliver these messages. We're going to get to your comments on that show in a minute. But first, we're going to hit on a few comments uh, from last uh, week's show called Religious Manipulations, and where we covered the most repulsive part of the recent LDS General Conference, especially when they changed their logo and announced that, and the prophet leading the members in something that they reverently call the Hosanna Shout. I was sort of taken aback by the response, to tell you the truth. Uh, the next day, we had a thousand views within a day, and uh, which is a lot for us. We, we don't get that many like that uh, now uh, in the stuff we cover. And it was a lot for us that fast. We also received a number of comments. I think there's over 60 comments. Usually we get three or four or five, sometimes 10, but 60 is a lot. So uh, we're going to get to those comments as well in just a minute. But first, I failed to, to mention something about that I witnessed in that video, and you may have witnessed it too. But um, I'm going to preface it with this comment. Years ago, here in ministry in Utah, uh, we have some dear friends who have a neighbor who worked in the offices of the First Presidency for the Mormon Church on North Temple. I mean, she was the secretary for... Uh, the first presidency, and I don't know if it was for the president or for one of the other counselors, but it was the office of the first presidency. And we asked her what it was like. Now, you have to understand his background information. She was, of course, LDS, pro-LDS, and what she shared with us was not a slam. It was, she, she said what she said with great pride, I was filtering it through my view, and of course, I was taking it in a different way, but she was just completely frank and very proud of what she said. And what she told us essentially was that the floor operates on a very high standard of perfection. That's, that's, that's what she used, the, the term, I'm pretty sure. And, and so, uh, someone said, what does that mean? And, uh, she said that errors and mistakes were not tolerated, not tolerated, and that there was a high, high, high expectation of doing everything right, 
like with typos, grammatical errors in communications or memos, or, or, or especially letters, um, and that even like catering had to be exactly right when you're dealing with the office of the first presidency. And she said it with a gleam in her eye. Very proud of it. So I've long thought about that description and how, for me, it was a definition of hell. But for her, she found it to be inspiring and felt that the brethren there in that office were just operating at this almost like perfect celestial machine way of nothing ever being out of place. I was also uh, amazed that the woman didn't mind the ambiance or the pressure that came with it. In my opinion, we actually get a slight glimpse or insight into what she described when we look at this demonstration of the Hosanna shout. Maybe you caught it too. Uh, Russell Nelson, he embarks on sharing the way to do the Hosanna shout with a viewing audience. And then he starts a swinging, right? And the camera pulls back and it shows all three doing it. And that's Dallin Oaks and Jeffrey Holland. They're, they're swinging their napkins away too. Now, at first, they're all in sync. Right at the first, they're in sync. But watch Dallin Oaks because he sort of slips off into his own little rhythm and blues bit and into this kind of independent and failure to follow the prophet bit which is how I'm seeing it. That's not how he intended it, I'm sure. He just didn't have the rhythm. And this causes Russell Nelson, who is doing it to a camera for millions of people to see, to actually look over his shoulder to see what's going on over there. This isn't in harmony with the perfection that I expect. So they've created this uh, clip for you to review. Take a look. Santa to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Amen, Amen, and Amen. Now, I could be wrong, Maybe the prophet, serum revelator of the Lord in this dispensation was trying to look over at his out-of-step counselor to kind of give him a nod like, we're rocking this thing. I, I mean, it's possible, but I don't think so. I, I, the reason I don't think so is I have another, uh, it's a secondhand story, but it's from a firsthand witness who I know well. And she made me promise to secrecy here, so I can't use a name. But she works for a place. I'm not going to even tell you her position because I don't want to threaten it. But she works for a place that, that old Russell Nelson frequents for reasons that I've been asked also not to make known. But I know what the details are. And she fears for her job this much. But on one occasion, uh, President Nelson was, found himself in the same room with this friend of mine. And his bodyguard was there or bodyguards, I think it was bodyguards, but I'll just say bodyguard was there. And uh, she had, a, had an opportunity to um, ask him a question. That, I mean, there was silence in the room. What was going on there didn't need her attention. 
And so she asked him this question, and it was something about the name of the church being changed and how that was kind of a mouthful. She's not a believing Mormon, but she's still LDS. But she is really bold and brazen, and she just thought, yeah, I, I just slipped it into him. You know, that's kind of a lot to say. And man, that pissed Russell Nelson off big time. And he shut her down angrily, and she, he shut the question down angrily. And um, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that a prophet of the Lord, since Jesus has set the stage for love and kindness and gentleness and mercy, that a prophet of the Lord would always be that, especially in times when they're challenged. You know, in other times, whatever, but especially when they're challenged, that's the fruit of the Spirit working. And you would expect that to happen. But not so, says my first-hand witness. And because of this, I doubt very much that old Prophet Nelson looked over his shoulder at Oaks kind of to say, we're really rocking this, buddy. I have a sneaking suspicion he was trying to figure out why they got so off balance. Just didn't look like they had it in sync, did it? So with reference to last week's show and a number of people who watched it and responded, I want to make something really clear. I love and I accept all people of all walks of life on this earth, taken by themselves for who they are. I, I truly do. I believe that it, this is my call on my life toward individuals as a, as a seeker and follower of the King, to take every individual or a family of individuals, whatever they are, and to treat them with love and respect. And that love has to be defined by what Scripture says love is, and that is found in several places, including 1 Corinthians 13. So I therefore try with individuals to be, to be uh, patient and kind and merciful and not short or rough uh, in my flesh toward them. I try. However... I do not believe it's incumbent for me to play by the same rules when it comes to religious institutions and their leaders and the people who represent them. I don't think they are in the same category. They are wearing a mantle, so to speak. And so I go after that mantle that they professedly wear to people. I'm not going after the man. I'm going after the mantle. So when I criticize pastors who are preaching tithing and bondage to their congregates, I'm going after the mantle of pastor that the individual was wearing. If I saw the pastor individual in a public place or whatever, I would be kind to them and, and merciful and compassionate and everything else. But when they're wearing that mantle and they speak for the Lord or whatever else, that I am going after and, and I always probably will. So this was uh, the same with the Lord Jesus Christ who I am told to follow. And he was able to hang with the publicans and the sinners and the diseased and the wretched and the prostitutes. And, and he loved them and he served them. But when it came to the religionists, the people who represented the faith of that day, those men who represented themselves as having authority over others, 
the Lord did not hold back. Now, you can't tell me that I should be merciful and kind to people uh, as the Lord was, but then tell me I can't be harsh on religious leaders as the Lord was. It's either I follow the Lord or I don't. You can't say he had the right to pick on religious leaders, but you don't. But you got to follow him in every other way. It has to be consistent. We either follow him or we don't, right? So I hope these differences are clearly shown and observed here on the show today. My war is never against individuals. They are always, it is always against religious institution in Jesus' name. And those who shamefully use his name and his word and deny the spirit thereof and put people in any sort of bondage or chain. They are the vipers, the hypocrites, the, who Jesus called the children of hell, even though I don't see that that way anymore. Whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones, men whose father was the father of lies, who seek to make merchandise of others, men who do things to be seen of men. They love the chief seats in the churches. They love to be called bishop and pastor and reverend and prophet in the marketplaces. These are the hypocrites who make long prayers. They, they, they give lofty flowing prayers and, um, and they strain at a gnat and they devour widows' houses, but they omit the weightier things of God like love and mercy and kindness. They are full of extortion and excess, and they're full of all uncleanliness, is what Jesus said. Outwardly, they appear beautiful. Inwardly, they're full of iniquity. These same men garnish the tombs of the prophets. Oh, let's lay flowers and wreaths at the prophet's tomb. But if those prophets, if they were alive in the prophet's day, they would have been the ones who would have contributed to their deaths. You got to understand the spirit of religiosity and the defenders of religious tradition today are the same people who put Jesus to death. So I believe those people who... uh, who defend the traditions and criticize everybody else uh, who challenge the traditions would have been the same people who put Jesus to death. They would have said, we have our way. We are the sons of Abraham. You are an upstart. Die, upstart, die. You're not our king. Same thing. Jesus asked of those guys, how will you ever escape the judgment of Gehenna? And these are not just the LDS leaders like Nelson and those guys up there. Uh, they're, they are uh, hunkered down behind golden altars of religion everywhere. And to any such as themselves, I have zero respect, tolerance, or allegiance. And to them and them alone, I speak straightly. Uh, to the rest of you, please know, whether you're LDS or anything else, atheist, whatever, in Christ's name and by his power, I love you. And that is how I will always be relative to the ministry. So one more thing before we go to some comments and questions from, or from last week's show and from last night's show. Usually we get somewhere between 40 to 60 donations a month. And, uh, and that's when we're in full operation here at the church and then also from people at home who choose to support us. And I just want to say thank you, uh, those of you who are able and willing to do that. It's a tough time, and I am not asking for any more. I'm not asking for any less. I just want to thank those of you 
who through the, the virus uh, have decided to continue to sustain us even though we're remotely doing these things. And um, I hope there's no burden upon you. And if it's a struggle for you, then I would challenge you to talk to the Lord and see if that's wise for you to do it. And, and I, just, I, just want, I don't want anyone to be under any compulsion, but I do wanna thank those of you who have s- supported us financially because they keep our rent paid, they keep the lights on, and we are not, uh, uh, we're month to month, mouth to mouth. And your donations just made it for us, but it works and we're so grateful. I wanna thank our volunteers. Seth and Wendy, uh, Kathy, Maggie, Mary, um, uh, Cassidy, and uh, Mallory and Delaney. I want to thank our family. These guys, they put forth effort to keep things going and um, not paid and giving far more than what they receive. You know, every now and then we might throw a Taco Bell taco at them. It's, it's, it's a dedication to trying to keep the truth going out there. I thank you and covet covet you for your prayers. Um, That's not rhetoric. Your prayers actually are more valuable in my estimation than your money because your prayers cause God to work on people to support us in the other ways. Your prayers keep us healthy. Your prayers keep our lights on and your prayers keep us protected. So we covet your volunteerism. We cover your prayers. We covet, we covet those people who are sharing the ministry with others and saying, consider this uh, weird guy. Consider the stuff they're talking about. You're keeping the light on, as I said with the Motel 6 commercials, and you're helping us get this message out in the way God has always gotten his messages out, in the small, still small voice that's going out. It's little by little. And it's happening more and more. And people are waking up to it. I know you don't agree with me on everything. I know there's things you do not see eye to eye with me. And yet you still continue to support us with your prayers or your uh, financial help or whatever it is. And you continue to watch. You give me the benefit of the doubt as your brother. That means volumes because you're, you're allowing me to work through things. Sometimes I change my mind, often I'm wrong, and sometimes I think I'm right and I stick to it. But whatever it is, you're there. And so I don't want you to think that we just gratuitously and thanklessly do this and think, uh, you know, so what? It means a lot and we all spend a lot of time to give you the best that we've got so that you're growing. And, and uh, so again, just wanted to thank you. From last week's live show, which got so much attention. Wrench Licks, what a name, says, I thought their Hosanna shout was more like waving the white flag of surrender to go along with the fasting because they have no answers for the coronavirus. That's an interesting comment. Listen, you know what? The LDS prophet told their members that they should fast last Friday. So LDS people all over the world were fasting. And I just wonder about that practice. I, I, I do. I, I think fasting is really good for your health. And I think fasting personally does help a person to draw closer to God because they aren't feeding their flesh. And so their, their mind focuses on heavenly things and spiritual things. But the fasting for a cause bit, like, does God really want us going hungry? And then he'll say, okay, coronavirus, done. I mean, does it really work? Is that the kind of God he is? I... I it seems like a religious practice to me that really doesn't have much weight. 
and the coronavirus is still killing people. So I guess the fast didn't work, but I just wonder about that religious practice when it's instituted collectively by a, a group over, over a nation. I kind of resent it to tell you the truth. Huff Humble, who's LDS said, um, considering the comp- are you considering the company that you're in? The show is about love, not your ego. And that was to Wrenchlick's comment. Uh, Huff Humble is uh, LDS. And so uh, he didn't appreciate the tone of that comment. From Mega Froman. Mega Froman. I still wonder if Sean converted John O'Fallon years ago. Thank you, Sean, for helping me years ago. I was a few days from being totally into the Mormon teachings and baptized by them. I had a Christian background and was already a believer in Jesus, but if it weren't for your lessons, facts, and teachings, I would not have been able to defend myself and keep myself from being indoctrinated into the Mormon church. That was 2013. It's been over seven years since then, and I still think about all that stuff, and that would and could have happened to me. Thanks again for doing this. Faya. Well, uh, Mega Froman, thank you for sending your comment, and we're just glad to play a part. And I'm grateful that you had ears to hear and were willing to listen to the truth instead of just bite into that. Uh, Mediation Music said, I'm researching the white handkerchief ritual. Does it link to the Masons? And that's a good question. You know what? I'm reading these questions. I glanced at them and I copied them, but I didn't think about them and I didn't research that. I don't know. But having read Duncan's book on Freemasonry, which was taken, uh, written, and extracted directly from the first Scottish rite in 1790 or 1782. I read through and studied that book extensively when I was doing the shows on Mormonism. And I don't recall the white handkerchief specifically being used for this. I think there was a handkerchief, but it was for used for something else, but not for the Hosanna shop. Vanessa Braga, and I'm going to use Vanessa's comment to put this whole thing to bed. Okay. She wrote, Seth didn't cut out Mr. Johnson with a frowny face. What she's talking about is at the beginning of the show, I was caught with my hand in the area of my front pants. <laughs> and the reason for this was we're in here, we're in here last week from three, and by the time we did the live show, it's five o'clock. So some bunching occurred in the pant area. And I was trying to get some room going on when they surprised me with the fact that we were live. He said we're going live. He didn't say we were live. There's a difference between going live and are live. And so having that miscommunication, I continued not to scratch Mr. Johnson or do any other thing. And that was sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke when I was caught that way. So, Vanessa, that was the story. Howard King says, let's face it, it's all about their false pride and filthy lucre, talking about the, El- the show on the uh, Hosanna Shout, and it's all about filthy lucre. It's about power and filthy lucre, and that, that ties into the false pride. And Howard is absolutely right. And it's, it's really a, an offense. You cannot serve God and mammon, and they do. So um, Vanessa wrote, uh, Braga again, well, the Mormon Jesus is indecent. 
He is showing his nipple and isn't wearing his garment. Imagine showing up on Sunday with a shirt so low your nipple shows. You can say I'm trying to be like Jesus. Even their logo goes against their standards. How do they get away with this? Right. Exactly, Vanessa. How do they get away with all of the inconsistencies? With the Christus that has the long hair and the beard. Imagine if you showed up with the long hair and the beard at BYU. They call it modern revelation. They use all sorts of slippery slope arguments to justify their power struggle to be different than the world. But uh, they still represent Jesus as having the long hair and the beard. I don't know. I, I agree with you. Tanya Rogers said, I was thinking the same thing when I saw this new icon. Dean uh, Medcalf, face palm, he says. And then we go to uh, Joanne Lantis writes, I heard it put this way by a Catholic. Do you love God enough to sacrifice your life by going to mass? That is fine. But would you kill to go to mass? And that's what we have to ask ourselves about going to any church meeting. Wow, good point to, from Joan. J-Dub, I'm, I'm wondering if that's a play on Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Seth's Revenge, creative editing. Good job, sir. Now, I don't know if he's talking about Seth when he superimposed Jesus holding the arm full of money, or if he's talking about Seth's Revenge with not cutting out Mr. Johnson at the beginning. J-Dub is a friend of Seth, obviously, and is congratulating him. Deb Delve said, I really like your teaching shows. Please keep doing this. I'm an ex-Mormon. My faith crisis was deep. I found truth in the Bible and comfort in finding Jesus and truth. I became a truth seeker after my crisis. Your show matters and you matter, Deb. And seeking for truth above all things is so vitally important to sons and daughters of God. And that's what's the difference between that and every religionist who shows up on Sunday and thinks that they are uh, doing it right. So I, I'm glad you came out of your uh, faith crisis because most people who have been totally ensconced in any religious system, when they leave that and abandon it, but especially Mormonism, you have a faith crisis and it's big. And that's why we see so many going to atheism, which just breaks my heart. But nevertheless, good job. Me Too wrote, Nelson is creepy, the one rung below Kenneth Copeland, but steady making ground. Now, what Me Too is talking about, Kenneth Copeland is a name it and claim it preacher. And we had some footage on him that Wendy got, but I thought we'd get in trouble by showing it. We should show that to you next week if you haven't seen it. He's a creeper. I mean, talk about going after the mantle. That guy's mantle should be stripped of him. He is really, really creepy. So is that other guy. Oh, I don't, can't remember his name. I won't mention it because I can't remember. Jack Dawson says, I have to say it's pretty nice to see Sean's fangs come out a little bit towards the Mormon church, and rightfully so. Just when I thought this show couldn't get any better or more daring, this episode airs. Great words, great work, great show. Thumbs up. Thanks, uh, Jack. Yeah. My things do come out with religious uh, leaders' hypocrisy. And uh, I just have to say, I'm, I'm going to say, I believe that's spirit-led the same way it led John the Baptist to call them hypocrites and vipers in the same way Jesus in Matthew 23 uh, calls them hypocrites uh, eight times and, and called them the, their father being the father of lies and the devil and, and all of that stuff. I think that anybody 
who can see the manipulation and the puppeteering that religionists are doing to unassuming folks who just want to know the truth, it should create wrath in us. It should create some sort of anger toward the position that person is abusing. Danae Hans, oh no, Dean Metcalf, uh, Metcalf said, Monty Python and the Hosanna shout from the LDS. That's funny. Danae Hansen, they should replace their picture of Jesus with the one of their savior, Joseph Smith, in their name and logo. The logo of true followers will always be Christ and him crucified, the cross, which Mormons find very offensive. It's a cult. Send your money. Thanks, Sean. And again, my, uh, my finger just hit the screen at a place that caused everything to jump down. And it takes me this long. Lori Nelson is what we're looking for. Where's Lori Nelson? There she is. The word question mark ministers, more deceit from the change with the times church. The change with the times church. The change outwardly, true. Very good, Lori. Nightmare entity says, the way you speak about social media is so true, people have gone crazy. Caitlin Lee writes, I absolutely love that you, Sean, came out of the coal of the LDS Church, deconstructed all the false doctrine, and came to the true authentic faith, which was gift given to you by the real Jesus Christ. You say, it's like, it, you say it like it is. Your honesty is inspiring. I could tell... I could listen to you talk all day about the heart of the matter, the stuff that so many people crave, like honesty. It's no surprise people want to grow in faith in the institutional church, but tend to backslide in faith. They're absolute, they're doubting it for a reason, exclamation point, because it's not authentic. It's not relevant. May God, maybe God is teaching them to let go of the doubts. I'm going to listen to more of your videos from Kate in New Zealand. So thank you, Kate in New Zealand. Share the show. Thanks for watching. And uh, thanks for giving me grace on the stuff that uh, is errant. Larry Freestone just wrote yes. Larry's been a longtime uh, fan of the show and he wrote yes. So he concurred with that topic. Tanya Rogers says, thanks for sharing the truth, Sean. She said, my brother who is Mormon was excited to share with me that President Nelson promised that if everyone joined in prayer on Good Friday, then Heavenly Father could take away the coronavirus. I hope God exposes them for their deceit and manipulations. I know for a fact that Tanya was uh, once LDS with her whole family. They have a beautiful family and um, that they were devout and the light came on and they found the truth. So we praise God for them and for that. Robert Haas said, though I have no dog in the Mormon versus Christian, uh, traditional Christian fight, an interesting feature of the Mormon invitation that you displayed is that in addition to not identifying themselves as LDS, their link includes Church of Jesus Christ, but no mention of Latter-day Saints. Very interesting. More wordplay and manipulation. Three itty-bitties. All I can say is he ends with Gates and his COVID cult are the sign of a new age of Aquarius. Time to get hoisted by the water bearer. That was after three paragraphs. Itty bitty, I love you. 
I cannot comprehend the stuff you write. But thank you anyway, and keep writing it because it's coming from your heart, and I think you're saying something that's above my level. Tom, great video. Keep up the amazing work. Kara Pendleton, I'm so glad you did this show. Monson has always creeped me out, but Nelson gives me a powerful snake vibe. He gets praised for all the changes he's making. Let's review them. Focus on deceiving people into thinking they're Christian, which would be blasphemous in the context of the first vision and the origin story. The church was started because God allegedly called Christianity abhorrent. It is therefore supposed to be other than, different from, above. It is also allegedly led by God via his prophet. So the Mormon God now likes Christianity and wants his restored church to be part of it, to look like it, to act like it. What a good point. Guess an indecisive, mind-changing God is what you get when he is not always a God, but a man first. Ooh, uh, great. Uh, keep up the great work, Sean and team. Hans Rados says, this reminds me of pay, lay, ale. And uh, it does. What they did uh, reminds you very much of like what they do in the LDS temples. When you haven't gone through before, you go in and you see him doing stuff like what Nelson did, which the LDS members think was so sacred, they'd never do it like on a publicized TV uh, thing, but they did. Um, Mackenzie Christie said, Mitt will throw his hat into the race soon and be the moderate Republican to save the day as the chosen one. That is another reason they changed the logo. They are preparing to herald in the new world order that Mitt will be the poster child for. We'll see if that's true, Mackenzie. It's, uh, it's an interesting uh, perception could possibly happen. Andrea says, I thank you for exposing this false teaching for what it is. I could not believe that the LDS publicly showed this on conference TV. Years ago, when I went to my first temple dedication, was, and was the first and only time I have ever heard or seen such a handkerchief wave, which was just as foreign weird as going to the temple for the first time. I had always believed it was sacred to the event of the temple dedication, and now they're exposing it to all through the conference. How strange. They're simply showing who they truly are, deceitful, false teachers. I know Andrea personally, she lives in Texas, and she is a sold-out believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, thank you for that, Andrea. Kelly P., Seth must have forgot to cut out Mr. Johnson. These just keep popping up, don't they? Mrs. John, 1972, wrote, Hi, Sean. Thank you for speaking up against this evil cult. I am very comfortable to compare the tactic they use to Adolf's tactic. People give a uniform, give them a chance to climb up their pride, becoming something, earning respect, and so stripes on their shoulder, feeling pride. My toenails curl up listening to this twisted argument, brainwashed as its finest. Can you explain more about what the missionaries' lives look like? in terms of total control, like dress codes and handbook. Uh, I haven't been on a mission for, whoa, it's been 40 years, 40 plus years, actually, 40 years. Uh, and uh, so things have changed, but I'll tell you this, the missionary, full-time missionaries' lives of the young men and women are very restricted to regimentation. It's a paramilitary operation. Many of the LDS leaders in the 1940s and 50s, they created a paramilitary organization for their Boy Scouts, the priesthood, and for missions. 
And so therefore you had the military haircut, you had the, the dress of the white shirt and tie, and um, they used to wear hats, they took those away. And you are dressed that way all the time, unless it's your prep day. The very best missionaries still wore their uh, suits and ties on prep day, just to let you know. And they have a regimentation that is listed in a thing called the White Handbook that they all carry with them. And they go by the rules of the White Handbook. And there's a number of things that have to do with what you do every day. They, they, they work for the church all day, every day of their mission, except for one half day called prep day, which they use to write letters and, and, uh, and uh, do their laundry and shopping and things like that. Uh, but it is, uh, it's really quite like being in a, a military operation. You're always with your companion. There's no women. Of course, there's no drinking or coffee or smoking or dancing or swimming or any of that stuff. You got to get permission to go out of your area. You get up at a specific time, no later. You can get up earlier, but not later. You go to bed at a specific time. You can't go earlier or later. You got to go at that time. And it's just really regimented. And to tell you the truth, for me in my life, it gave me a lot of structure. And it was beneficial to my physical existence in terms of regimenting myself. It taught me, whereas before I went in there as a Southern California beach bum and I came back out more regimented. So it did me good in that way. And it's good for young men. And that's why, you know, they don't come off the mission and they just absolutely hated it. Some do, but usually it does something good for them. But the problem is, is they equate all that regimentation and everything else. Uh, and it becomes proud, pride, prideful and, um, and they equate it with being a Christian when in reality, uh, being a Christian has nothing to do with such regimentation. It has to do with faith and the spirit and then leading people to love. Jeff Humble, or I mean, Jay Huff Humble, he is LDS. He wrote another comment. He said, And Huff watches, so I'm going to speak very directly to him. I don't know why they have a new logo. I know Paul said that he was all things to all people to convert. So that's what I think the intention is as far as I can tell. So so Huff, you have the right to suggest that the logo change somehow is going to do more to reach more people, to bring them in to something that leads them away from Christ. Because it doesn't lead them to Christ. You might find that it leads you to Christ. But the doctrines in the end, when fully examined and exposed, do not lead to Christ. They lead to self. They lead to arrogance. And they lead to works righteousness. So your, your, your guess about why they changed the logo, you can, you can believe that. We'll love you. But brother, I, I, I'm sorry. Paul did all things to, uh, to, for all people so he can convert as many as he can. And that's the reason that you think their intention was uh, to convert everybody to Mormonism. Okay, I'll go with that. He goes, I know too many people over 50 years span that love Christ and gave their lives to preaching the gospel. Okay. They love Christ and gave their lives to preaching the Mormon gospel. They, 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 they gave their lives to preaching that people need to go to the temple. That people need to make, uh, 
pay tithes and obey Sabbath days and dress a certain way and refrain from eating certain things in order to go to the temple, in order to receive the new and everlasting covenant, in order to get into the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. You know people who have over 50 year span that have given their lives for that and you think that's good? I would suggest that people who are giving their lives to preaching faith in Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of the faith, and dying to self and taking up their cross daily and following him and humbly humbling themselves, I could suggest if they're preaching that gospel, great. But the gospel you're talking about, Mormon, and the reason we know it's Mormon is because the next thing you say is look at Boyd K. Packer. I watch him go from a vibrant and healthy to an individual man sucking on an oxygen tank. To do what? Twist his evil mustache and set up dark strategies for cash? Have you ever seen Boyd K. Packer's portfolio? Have you ever seen the house Boyd K. Packer lives in? It's there. It's online. He's had his hand in the church trough the whole time. If he was a humble servant of Christ, I would consider him to be in a three-bedroom, you know, $300,000 house. No, no, no. Not that apostle. No, 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 Jeff, so I'm uh, humble, Huff. I'm sorry, but your arguments, they're not sustained by what we see around us. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have an institution that is built on money. You can't. They are antithetical to each other. He writes, no way, speaking of Boyd K. Packard. I've watched too many apostles and people bear testimony and wither away loving Christ and bearing testimony of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple to me. Jesus Christ and why we are here, period. Um, love and peace. I agree with love and peace, humble, and I agree that it's all about Jesus Christ, but... When you say uh, it's pretty simple, Jesus Christ, uh, that's not what it's about, brother. It's not what it's about. And you're showing to me through your email some duplicitousness. Or you're showing me some self-deception that you have been able to make yourself believe that it is all about those things. And uh, I got to tell you, when push comes to shove, you name it, we can go down the doctrines and talk about each one, and you'll find they are opposite of what the Bible really teaches. Jeremiah says, I want a copy of the logo with a bag of money. I can't find it anywhere else on the web. That was Seth's, <laughs> that was Seth's find right there. He probably created it himself. That's probably him as a model with a fake beard, as far as we know. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, not going to tell you. Nightmare Entity, what the F are you doing at the start scratching yourself? Okay, I explained that. Hans Rada says, Mormonism claims it restored the gospel. Joseph Smith did not change a single word of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and merely changed some punctuation marks. Further, where is first presidency in the Bible? Nowhere. The Mormons today have 15 apostles. Not even the Book of Mormon had 15 apostles. It only had 12 disciples. And yet, this is all part of the restoration. Bah! Joseph Smith wrote a play on words, 
I've got an idea of a logo. I'm not going to read that. It doesn't make too much sense. Case Slatterock said that snot rag waving video was absolutely ridiculous. Do the LDS leaders consciously know they are using God's name in vain? I don't know. And Patrick Laerly says that was not biblical at all. So those are some comments from uh, the show last week that we uh, showed the Hosanna shout. Finally, we had five or six comments from last night's show, which was all about death. And the prophet Mohammed, <laughs> he doesn't like me. He said, oh my, I can't believe what I am hearing here. So I'm going to go to Jones Fabrics, buy me some purple silk material to make a cape and get ready to be caught up on the tail of the Atlas Comet on May 20th. Later. Crazy, baby. What? The prophet Mohammed was saying is our show was talking about death and the death of believers and unbelievers. It's a very different picture than what it was back in biblical times, New Testament era, the age of the apostolic church. That is proven by what Revelation describes and what the writer of Hebrews describes the kingdom to be in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Joe, the uh, prophet, I mean the prophet, he probably believes the, the old uh, unbiblical view that people die and if they haven't received Jesus by faith, they go to hell forever. That is the view, the untenable view, the non-biblical view, absolutely non-biblical view that uh, the prophet is suggesting he believes. And I just want to tell you, if, if this man and I or this woman and I were able to sit down and we can open the scriptures and we can just go through and talk about what it says, when they would say, look, it says right here, we, all we got to say is, well, who was speaking then? Who are they talking to? What was the context? Were these Jews? Were they talking about the end of another age? I mean, and you just go through it and you just whittle away at these ridiculous ideas that people still employ. M.S. Johnson on last night's show, show said, did I miss it? Sorry, did I miss you backing up your view about Jesus' return in 70 AD in the past? How can I find your reasoning or where? It's something new of a course. Um, listen, Miss John, 1972, you go to our archives, you go to, you go to our website, or you go to uh, YouTube with Sean McCraney, Heart of the Matter, and you click on videos, and you just start scrolling down, and you're gonna get to videos that say, has Jesus returned? And you look at, find part one. You gotta go down lower to find part one. You'll hit two, three, and four first. Get to part one, watch it. Go to part two, three, and four, and you'll hear the basis, part of the basis for this stance. It's called the fulfillment stance of eschatology. It's not new. It has been believed by early church fathers. It's been believed by people going all the way back to the first century, but it's just not known today because it's more popular among Christians to perpetuate the false notion that Jesus is coming back to destroy the world and everybody on it. Uh, Joseph Morgan wrote, amen, brother, amen. Adnan wrote, remember we talked about death last night. The day before this episode aired, my wife's 
uncle unexpectedly passed away. A few years ago, my younger brother unexpectedly passed away at 28 years old. We mourned and grieved as most would, but their passing when understood through the lens of fulfillment is bittersweet. You see, they didn't die, at least not in the biblical sense. What do I mean by that? As far back as Adam in the garden, death has never meant physical death. Yes, their flesh decayed and eventually died after eating of the fruit, but I think that it was a result of being cut off from the tree of life. But when God told them that they would die in the very same day that they broke his command, he was talking of spiritual death. Even Jesus, throughout the book of John, referred to life and death in a spiritual sense. Rarely, if ever, can one associate the word death, as used by Jesus in the book of John, to mean physical death. In fact, when Jesus did refer to someone who was physically dead, he often said they were asleep. I didn't even pre-read this. I distrust Adnan and his insights. What I'm saying is God and Jesus do not view physical death as being death in the same way they don't view physical life as being life. So maybe we shouldn't view it that way either. We know as Christians that following Christ is freedom from the bondages, from bondages of all kinds. And we also know through Christ's finished work, that he conquered death and death is no more. Thank you, Adnan. Thank you. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely contextual. And that is absolutely what the Bible says. He says, knowing these things, we can conclude that when our bodies die, we are not dead. In fact, Saying this person died or that person died is incorrect and an oxymoron. So it is. They have not died, but have been set free. Oh, it's so good. He writes, set free from what? Set free from their flesh, which is of this world. Their flesh, which was always at war with their spirit. Their flesh which wanted to hate when our spirit told us to love. The flesh which insatiably lusts and desires and wants more and more and more. The flesh which gets addicted and easily corrupted by things which gets old, gets sick and which decays. They have been set free from all of those things which the flesh is and are free from all those things that hinder us from following and loving God perfectly and from experiencing his perfect freedom. This is so beautiful. This is true. Listen to this person. Listen to what they're writing. He's absolutely dead on. He's a seeker of truth. He's a lover of God. He loves Jesus with all his heart. He pursues him in spirit and truth. Listen to what he's saying. He finally adds, so their passing is bittersweet. Bitter because we miss them deeply, but sweet because they are free. In fact, they are more free than any of us can ever know in the flesh. 
Our flesh is the final chain that Christ breaks that truly makes us free in him. And when our flesh dies, we can rejoice because now we are truly free in him. That is the hope we have by and through Jesus. That is the hope the world has, but especially those who believe in Jesus. Being a Christian gives us a taste of freedom while in this flesh. Oh, it's so good. More importantly, we Christians have the hope of perfect freedom in the presence of perfect love in the spirit bodies that await us. Adnan, that's, that's, that's beautiful. That's a fantastic summary of why we mourn at the uh, passing of people that we love because we're going to miss them. But we rejoice in what the finished work of Christ Jesus has done for the world, for the world. That is the view we need to have about death when we walk as Christians in the age of fulfillment. Forget about this, this stuff about hell and them experiencing a second death and lake of fire and all that. It was done then over whatever. We live in the new age where the victory has been had. So inspiring. Uh, really quickly, two more and we're done. It's hard to deal with death, says Common Sense Christianity, which by the way, I did an interview with Common Sense Christianity recently where he had a couple LDS kids on there and we sort of talked a little bit, so check that out. He says, my, in my experience, it's probably the number two reason why most people become atheists. They become mad at God for their taking their loved one away. We must always remember God feels our pain. He had to watch his son suffer and die. Instead of hating God for death, you should rejoice in the fact that your loved one is in a better place and God gave you that time to be with them. Good insights from this young man. And then Raj Michael says, if everyone is going to heaven and there is no longer any hell, what? I'm getting tired of these. It's still going. We're having an earthquake here in Utah right now. Oh. <laughs> okay. Going back to Raj Michael, the final comment. If everyone is going to heaven and there's no longer any hell, why does Matthew 7, 21, 20 Reese mean when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven and depart from me, I never knew you. Just listen. A, A, that was to them then. It was to an audience of Jews in that age. And there was going to be a wrapping up of that age. However, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into what? The kingdom of heaven. Not heaven, but the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is the new Jerusalem. That's where the kingdom is, resides. There are parts outside of that kingdom. You won't enter into where God and Christ dwell, which is in the new Jerusalem, which is the kingdom of heaven by just saying, Lord, Lord, and not following him and doing the commands that he asked, which is to love others. So that's what it means in, in application to us. But you cannot read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and what happens in that and straightly cross that over and apply it to ourselves because those words were not to us. They were to Jesus and his own people who were Jews. The Bible, the New Testament doesn't actually start talking to us until we get to Acts chapter 10 and beyond. 
That's when the gospel started going out to Gentiles. And that's when Paul and others were dictating things that were applicable to us, transferring it from the law to the, the new uh, uh, covenant, which is where God writes his laws upon our hearts. So it's a whole discussion, but to simply put, that's how I would answer your question, Raj. It's a good one. All your questions are good. We really appreciate you watching and thinking and writing. Pray for us out here in Utah. We got the plague. We're still rolling right now. We're still moving. These earthquakes are getting unsettling. Jesus, come back and take us. That's a joke. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter.